Welcome to Real-Time Real Estate, a podcast brought to you by St. Louis Realtors, your voice for real estate. I'm Charlie Hinderlader, Director of Government Affairs for St. Louis Realtors. Today, we're here with Brian Green, Vice President for Policy Advocacy at NAR. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Charlie. Brian is a fantastic resource at NAR. We want to talk today about issues of fair housing and how the current market and perhaps the unique market that we're seeing in late summer of 2021 also intersects with historical problems that we've seen in terms of housing and especially fair housing in the United States. So, Brian, do you want to kind of start us off talking about how this moment maybe interacts with that historical trend that we've seen? Sure. So, you know, historically, people have said the, the, the three most important things in real estate are location, location, location. Uh, right now, in 2021, I would say the, the challenge we face is availability, affordability, and accessibility. And I, I really see them in that order, that right now we have a serious housing shortage. You've probably heard uh, we've got about 1.25 million units on the market nationwide. And of course, we have 1.5 million members of the National Association of Realtors. So it's a bit of a hunger games to sell homes right now. Um, but this is because of a longstanding problem of underbuilding. We are probably 20, 15 to 20 years behind the game with about 5.5 to 6.8 million units short. So um, this is an acute problem. Uh, it's a problem for everyone, but it also is so much worse for uh, families of color just because of you know, the legacy of discrimination and, and um, less wealth. And I, I don't know that people really fully appreciate how this history has contributed to you know, people's financial circumstances today. Uh, we looked at uh, who were the successful home buyers in 2020, and we look at this demographically, and we see that 5% of home buyers were African American, when 13% of the population is African American. And when you drill down, you find um, a much higher percentage of those successful home buyers are educated persons. The African American, like 30% of African American home buyers have graduate degrees, like law degrees and MBAs, uh, much higher than uh, the white population who are buying homes who cluster more around uh, bachelor degrees. And this is because you've got to work a whole lot more and earn a lot more money to make up for generations of. Um, you know, wealth you were excluded from. And so a lot of African-Americans are not relying on the sale of primary residences. I want to say like 30% of whites are finding their down payment in the sale of primary residence, where um, a much higher percentage of African-Americans are first-time home buyers um, and are tapping into their retirement, tapping into the future uh, in order to buy a home today. So, so we're seeing that right now in this market and, you know, home prices are still escalating. Uh, median home price right now is $363,000 in the United States, but, which is about 25% up. So I'm worried that, you know, come a year from now, that 5% that African-Americans represent in the market may still be smaller. So it's a runaway train. And if we want everybody 
all first-time home buyers of all backgrounds to really have a shot, uh, we've got to get a, hand, a handle on this supply issue. And so that's one of the top priorities for the National, home, uh, National Association of Realtors and you know everyone throughout the, the, the housing industry, including the home building industry, because we've got to increase supply in order to make housing more affordable for all. And we know that economic mobility is so important for our members, especially because if more people are able to climb that socioeconomic ladder, more people can become home buyers. That means more clients for all of our members. But we've seen that this legacy of housing policy in the United States has left different people from different racial groups in very different places when it comes to economic mobility and home ownership. Certainly as realtors, our members know that the most common path to building intergenerational wealth is home ownership. So talk to us a little bit about how fair housing uh, plays a role in that economic mobility and home ownership pieces. Yeah. So when I, you know, I talked about the availability issue and how that, you know, impacts affordability, right? But we need to also make sure that housing is accessible, that the transactions are all fair. Uh, and we've been engaged in lots of efforts, which you know, we can get into to make sure the housing transactions fair, but I, and we have a, 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 an initiative that sort of outlines that, which we've called ACT with an exclamation point. But, you know, I, I've increasingly said, even if we do all those things, you know, if we do everything that we've laid out under ACT to, to make sure there's no discrimination in the marketplace, we're still going to have these disparities. And these are disparities because of you know, 90 years of, you know, an unfair housing market, um, or at least for much of the, those, those 90 years. And we need to understand that, you know, Charlie Offler, our, our, the president of the National Association of Realtors, he apologized for that legacy because we, we set ourselves back quite a bit. Uh, the National Association of Realtors, you know, we were behind racially restrictive covenants. You know, many of our early policies were codified then by the federal government and, you know, redlining became, you know, official practice. We opposed the 1968 Fair Housing Act. All of these things set us back. And so now we've only had, you know, a generation of folks uh, who've really had, you know, full access to the market, but not the wealth, whether it was to pass on to children who could then use it as down payment or even to send them to school. And so the credit burdens, everything um, has really cascaded to the effect we have today. You know, when I look at some of the data and the uh, economic analysis, it's actually quite impressive that people are doing as well as they are uh, in light of that background. But we're seeing that, you know, in the difficulty, you know, for people to meet all their credit obligations and the difficulty to, to qualify even when you have higher education levels. So that's a so that's a big challenge today, and we have to look at how we want to address that. You know, how do we get down payment assistance to people? We're talking about down payment assistance for all, um, but we want to make sure that the, the, the persons who've historically um, been locked out um, have some avenue uh, forward. And then we, we're you know um, when we look at credit qualifications, you know. It wouldn't have been bad to to get credit 60 years ago when it was a handshake and the guy down at the bank. Uh, now we do it by the numbers. And if you, you, you know, a couple generations later, missed out on the opportunities 
Today, you may not be able to, to get credit, even though you may have, you, you know, uh, you, you may be able to demonstrate that you're credit worthy. I mean, we have people who've paid 10 years of rent uh, on time, you know, every month, but that's not captured in their credit profile. And so there's a lot of work to evaluate whether our current housing finance system overlooks many people who are credit worthy, but, you know, don't meet the traditional profile that we've established uh, for our housing finance system. So there are folks who are doing machine learning and, and other steps. The GSEs are looking at this to, to not give loans to people who are not credit worthy, but to recognize um, that they may be credit invisible, but uh, worthy of these loans. So, Brian, you make a great point that it's not just about making sure that there's no discrimination in the transactions and that it goes beyond just ensuring that, that no discrimination exists, but going beyond that to really making sure that we're developing the tools to make sure that people have access to credit and access to the market. Here in St. Louis, certainly we know about racially restrictive covenants because Shelley versus Kramer, the U.S. Supreme Court case that struck down racially restrictive covenants, came out of St. Louis. And in fact, Two and a half years ago, St. Louis Realtors, uh, along with a coalition of other groups, rededicated a plaque after um, helping to restore the Shelley House um, because someone had actually stolen the plaque off the home. So, you know, that's something that we want to celebrate that St. Louis has been a piece of overcoming that legacy. But certainly we know that legacy is, is long here as well. Well, it's a good point. You mentioned that because also even when you could uh, move into a community, you know, of course, we've had white flight in all of our major metropolitan areas, and St. Louis is probably like a textbook example. Um, and what we've also seen is homes, homes that people owned in African-American communities devalued. And, and this is a, a, another pressing issue. So even if you, you know, achieve home ownership, a comparable house in an African-American neighborhood versus a white neighborhood uh, would not realize the same value. And so if two kids from, you know, different sides of, of uh, Del Mar are, are headed off to college, one family is going to have a lot less equity than another. And certainly uh, that translates in what you can pass down to. And so this is another issue which we're looking at because it's rearing its head again. And we're seeing lots of national stories where people are alleging that uh, their homes are being devalued and uh, sometimes just based on who the homeowner is. We're seeing uh, homeowners doing tests where they, they, they seek an appraisal for a refinance. And when they think it comes in too low, they ask a white friend to sit in and they find that it's coming in 50% higher. I've seen now, you know, I want to say six or seven stories like that in, in the last year and a half. So uh, this is something we're concerned about. I know the federal government's looking into it. Uh, the GSEs. So uh, we have to make sure that as we advocate home ownership, that what people ultimately achieve is fair and equitable and enriching. One of the other issues that we've seen in our area is the appraisal gap. And I know that's something that we're seeing across the country too, where there are parts of especially North St. Louis City and pockets in South St. Louis City where 
homes aren't appraising for what sellers are, are willing to pay. Um, and we tend to see those in predominantly African-American neighborhoods. And in St. Louis, there's a new greenlining fund that's coming online called the Gateway Neighborhood Fund. In fact, St. Louis Realtors did an event about that fund actually just before COVID hit in February of last year. But that's something that I know we've been looking at. What's NAR looking at in terms of that appraisal gap? Yeah, you know, this has been a big issue for our evaluation committee and the, really with the home with the home sales market being what it is right now, uh, all throughout the country, folks are raising this question. And in fact, people are even finding it hard to get appraisers out to, to, to do the appraisals uh, on, on some properties right now. So we have a, a special convening of, of a couple of our committees to focus on this issue and see what, what can be done. Um, we have only 25,000 appraisers in our uh, membership, which might sound like a great number, but in, a, in a, an association of 1.5 million, it's a small group. But they're a vocal group and very engaged. So we're talking about that. And, of, of course, we're engaging you know, the, the uh, auspices of the appraisal industry, like the Appraisal Foundation and uh, the Institute as well, on those questions. So, Brian, tell us a little bit more about what NAR is doing to address the housing supply issue that we started this episode with. Yeah, well, we really have raised the alarm bells on this uh, because it it, it really is uh, an all-hands-on-deck mission. Uh, We issued a report in June uh, calling attention to this. We convened a forum to discuss this with policymakers, with the administration, Everyone seems to accept, yes, we've got to build more. Uh, and, you know, Department of Commerce is, is meeting with you know, home builders and others to try to address, you know, the building issues, which is not just lumber, but it's, you know, it's labor as well. And we have said there are some tax solutions to, which might help in the short term to try to get more inventory on the market, like just on the sales market. We, we've advocated uh, waiving capital gains tax for investors who want to sell to owner occupants. You know, this may be an opportunity to get uh, some of those homes back out there on the market for first-time home buyers who, who are looking. We, we're at a 33-year low in terms of first-time home buyers in the market. You know, they represent only 31% of primary home uh, purchasers right now. So, uh, so that may help. Uh, we're also uh, looking at plenty of solutions to convert uh, um, unused commercial property. We've got on our website right now some case studies of, of what some communities are doing to convert um, unused hotels and motels, as well as vacant malls uh, and school buildings, because we're actually at a 100-year low on birth rates as well at the moment. And so federal assistance, federal tax credits to support that, help the commercial industry convert some of this housing, those things we can do right now. So we've been advocating that and it seems like, you know, Treasury and some other places are rather interested in what we have to say. Brian, that June report you mentioned, housing is critical infrastructure. We'll link to that in the episode description. And our commercial members and residential members are both very interested in this idea about how we can convert some of those commercial buildings that may be underutilized in St. Louis to residential property. And in fact, Greater St. Louis Inc., the new combined economic development organization of the Greater St. Louis region, just in the beginning of August came out in support of 
some new federal legislation that I know NAR is taking a look at that might be able to do just that to help kind of rebuild some downtowns and to provide more of that housing supply. Great. Well, you said it better than me. Housing is critical infrastructure is the title. And, uh, you know, we had hoped to see uh, more housing in the infrastructure bill, but, you know, we might see housing as uh, an investment in other parts of uh, the federal budget. And, you know, we just keep at it, trying to do more to incentivize more housing construction in this country. Brian, thank you again for joining us. Be sure to check back next week when part two of this podcast is released. Uh, We release these every Friday morning. So check out part two of this critical conversation about fair housing. Thanks again. I'm Danielle Finley, and this is Realtor Party Talk, a brief segment with members like you discussing advocacy issues in the importance of the Realtor Political Action Committee, or RPAC. Joining me today is Jennifer Piglowski with Coldwell Banker Realty Gundaker. Why are you an RPAC major investor? I'm a major investor, plain and simple, because I feel that it's important to invest and help protect an industry that's given so much back to me. And we're protecting it for both realtors and homeowners. However, I feel it's important to invest at any level. Not everyone feels comfortable investing at the major investor level, but it does all add up. For me, becoming a major investor came in time. First, as I felt my personal income achievements allowed me to comfortably invest more. And second, as I continue to learn more of the importance of investing. Our RPEC dollars go to work at a local level, working to protect home ownership rights within our cities and our municipalities. Our RPEC investments continue to work as we go into the state level in many ways, including things such as defeating tax on service on our commission dollars, something I was directly involved in years ago. And our RPAC investment goes all the way to D.C. when we continue to fight things such as mortgage interest deduction, protections from capital gains when selling a principal residence, and 1031 exchange rights for investment properties, and so much more. We're just continuing to protect everybody's rights and homeownership. You just listened to Realtor Party Talk. Thank you for listening to Real Time Real Estate, a podcast brought to you by St. Louis Realtors. Join us next time for more on real estate news, trends, and industry insights. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. St. Louis Realtors, your voice for real estate.